Hey guys, Bill here. We recorded today's show on Wednesday afternoon before the Jim Harbaugh news broke. So we're going to talk with Daniel Dopp about the Lions and everything that's gone on with them over the past couple of years. I think a really fun, really thoughtful conversation that applies to a lot of teams towards the bottom of the league. But first, wanted to break in and have a quick chat about the Jim Harbaugh hire in Los Angeles for the Chargers. And I love this move. I'll be upfront. Wrote about this today for ESPN.com. Harbaugh, I just look back at how highly regarded he was at his peak in San Francisco. This is a guy who I believed when there were rumors of him getting linked to the Cleveland Browns via trade before his final season with the team. He was making $5 million a year, which was a decade ago, so money was not what it is now. But I thought he was worth two first-round picks via trade. I thought he was worth basically franchise quarterback or young superstar Jalen Ramsey, Khalil Mack-esque trade value for Jim Harbaugh, given how significant he had been in turning around the 49ers. And I just want to start by kind of going back to where things were with the Niners because Jim Harbaugh's turned around colleges. He turned around Michigan, which had a losing record before he got there. He turned around Stanford, which was one and 11, left them after four years at 12 and one. He turned around the University of San Diego, his first head coaching job that had never had a 10 win season. And he had two in his three seasons with the University of San Diego. What's most impressive to me, though, is what he did in San Francisco. So they were basically a mess for a decade after the, you know, kind of the the fruit of the Bill Walsh tree had, had you know, n- not gone ripe, whatever the opposite of ripe is. They'd gone sour, I suppose, after uh, cap concerns. They lose Steve Mariucci. A lot of the players leave. They're a mess for a decade. Dennis Erickson struggles. Mike Nolan struggles. Mike Singletary struggles. And I want to remind you of what the 2010 season was like the year before Harbaugh got there. They start 0-4. Week 5, they're playing the Philadelphia Eagles. Alex Smith, their former first overall pick, at this point in his, I believe, fifth season with the team, is struggling. Some of the loudest boos you will ever hear from an NFL crowd booing Alex Smith. Fans chanting, very famously or infamously, depending on how you look at it, we want Carr. No, not Derek Carr, David Carr, who... No disrespect to David Carr, who I believe has been blocked on Twitter. Uh, David Carr had about 20 more pro passes to throw in his career. He had been a journeyman at this point of his career. Not exactly like they had Kurt Warner on the bench. So that's where the Niners were. Troy Smith took that job over for a chunk of that season. Alex Smith came back. It was a disappointing year. He described the locker room as basically a, a mess. He left after the season in free agency, was not expecting to return. The Raiders, Raiders, the Niners, excuse me, hire Jim Harbaugh. The lockout happens, so Alex Smith does not get re-signed by the Niners until late July. He comes back and is an entirely different quarterback. He has a league-best interception rate, top 60% completion percentage, average is more than seven yards per attempt for the first time in his pro career after going 19-31 and 31 his first few years in the NFL. Alex Smith goes 13-3. and three. The fans who were booing him a year earlier are screaming his name 
as he runs down the sideline to take the lead late against the Saints before he throws a late touchdown pass to Vernon Davis. And to me, still the best game I've ever covered, uh, you know, doing this for a living, that Niners-Saints playoff game during the 2011 postseason. The Niners were completely and utterly lost. And Jim Harbaugh turned them around with not only Alex Smith, but then with Colin Kaepernick, an entirely different kind of quarterback. They got the most out of not just the quarterbacks, but some of their draft picks, guys like Navarro Bowman, Alex Boone. I think he was a UFA, but Alex Boone, a young player they brought in. Michael Crabtree, a former first-round pick. Chris Borland, a famous uh, podcast hero. Terrell Brown. They bring in guys like Carlos Rogers and Ahmad Brooks, who had you know, been okay players elsewhere. They get better after joining the 49ers. And to me, that's number one, a sign of a good coach, is you get more out of the players than uh, other teams did out of those same players. We've seen that with not only Harbaugh, someone like Bill Belichick, Mike McDonald this year, a former Harbaugh disciple who we're going to talk about in a second, is a good example with the Baltimore Ravens. But Harbaugh took this franchise that was floundering, that was a disaster for a decade, and overnight you know, came within a couple of, of muffed punts of making it to the Super Bowl. And then the following year, made it to the Super Bowl with a second-year quarterback who was basically debuting in the NFL. And Colin Kaepernick's career, obviously, I've written about it many times. There's factors late in his career that I believe led him to be blackballed by the NFL. That's a whole other podcast. But Colin Kaepernick was not seen as a no doubt franchise quarterback prospect. He was drafted in the second round. He was seen as a project, a player who was going to have to change his style, change, you know, they, he couldn't run the gimmick pistol offense. He ran at Nevada in the NFL. Harbaugh said the hell with that. They ran the pistol or some elements of the pistol in the NFL. They, they built an offense around Colin Kaepernick's strengths, and he was incredible at his best. Colin Kaepernick dominating the Packers, one of the single most impressive performances I've ever seen from a quarterback uh, on on the bright lights and the bright lights of the postseason. And it eventually went south. Harbaugh had a feud with Trent Baalke, apparently a feud with ownership as well, depending on who you ask. Joe Staley being a, a source here based on what he said publicly. Um, the Niners go out and basically fire Harbaugh at the end of his fourth season. He coaches two more games. They say he leaves mutually. Harbaugh says, eh, not so much. I kind of got fired. So he goes to Michigan. He's sort of he's good for six years, but not great. Finally turns things around after the pandemic, makes it to the postseason, and then wins a national championship last year. And what happens next to me is so interesting here because – Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers makes sense. They have Justin Herbert, and they don't have a GM. They're going to hire a GM, but Jim Harbaugh is going to be the guy who's there first. And to me, that's telling, because a general manager did not hire Jim Harbaugh. Ownership hired Jim Harbaugh. And that means, to me, that Jim Harbaugh, if he's not going to have personnel control, he's going to have enough personnel power that he's not going to run into a bulky situation again. If push comes to shove... I believe Jim Harbaugh is going to win that battle, and that was not the case, clearly, in San Francisco because he did not win that battle. And so that always made sense with the Chargers. There weren't many teams that it felt like were going to give him the possibility of some semblance of personnel control. I know when I talked with Jeff Schwartz on 
uh, our podcast about the different coaching vacancies. I, I floated the Falcons, who seem to be at least sour on Terry Fontenot after the last three years. I kind of seem like maybe they could be a team that would offer some going, you know, significant personnel control. Maybe they'll give Bill Belichick some semblance of personnel control if he goes there, which seems like the most likely landing spot now. But the Chargers did not have a GM, and so Harbaugh will presumably have power over that GM when they do hire somebody. But what happens next now? Is so fascinating because the Chargers need to hire coordinators, or at least I think they need to hire coordinators. And on some level, the obvious pick on the defensive side was going to be Mich- uh, the Michigan defensive coordinator right now, uh, Jesse Minter, who took over from Mike McDonald when he went to the Ravens. McDonald had been there for a year. Minter, I believe, has been there for two years now. Michigan's defense, number one in the country in scoring defense this past season. If you watch them in the postseason, you know they are a damn good defense. So, hire mentor, bring him along with Harbaugh, makes total sense. But the other news that broke yesterday afternoon was that Vic Fangio is leaving the Miami Dolphins after one season. And I think Fangio did a really good job, at least in terms of what they did on on the field when they had Jalen Ramsey until the very end of the year when like all other edge rushers got hurt at the same time or in of course they were a three week span and that seemed to sink the defense, but they were really good at their peak last season. It seems like based on some of the tweets coming out that maybe Vic Fangio is not the most loved person amongst Dolphins defenders, or at least some Dolphins defenders. And so that was a uh, a way for the Dolphins who are paying Vic Fangio a lot of money, I believe almost $5 million a year, if I'm not mistaken. It seemed like that was a way to get them out of an expensive deal, get Fangio somewhere else, and kind of end a relationship that maybe, you know, looked better on paper than it played out in reality last season. Reports were Fangio was going to go to the Eagles, which seems a little curious, given that they just fired a, a defensive coordinator who, and Sean Desai, who was running a Fangio-style defense. But hey, Fangio knows his own defense better than Desai, better than Brandon Staley. He also did a very good job of coordinating the Niners' defense when Jim Harbaugh was in San Francisco, but he, he was the D.C. there for four years. So do you bring back Vic Fangio if you're Harbaugh and the Chargers? Do you... You know, you have a, a group personnel grouping that is at least theoretically designed to play in a Fangio-style defense. It didn't work well with uh, Brandon Staley running things all that time. But, hey, certainly seems like you could bring in Fangio. There's a great track record there with Harbaugh, especially if you don't want to go out and bring in Minter on the offensive side. Interesting question. Greg Roman was the offensive coordinator for Harbaugh during his time in San Francisco, and he is also available after spending last year out of the National Football League. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking of the Ravens' Lamar Jackson offense, maybe the Niners' Colin Kaepernick offense, and thinking Justin Herbert is going to break every rib in his body running quarterback power. And maybe he will. Maybe that's what Jim Harbaugh and Greg Roman would do. I will just say this. The Niners, in 2011 did not run an offense for Colin Kaepernick. They ran an offense for Alex Smith, who was a mobile quarterback, no question, underrated as a scrambler and as a runner, but not someone who they were running as the focal point of their rushing attack. The quarterback run game was not a significant component of what the Niners did with Alex Smith, outside of, of course, famously, that sweep for a touchdown against the Saints. So I would assume that Greg Roman and Jim Harbaugh could run some semblance of the offense that they ran for Alex Smith. 
with Justin Herbert. Obviously, they'd want to mold it to Justin Herbert's strengths. You'd want to have some more downfield passing. I think Alex Smith's offense, from what I remember, this is over a decade ago now, was pretty conservative. But you can make that work with Justin Herbert. And certainly, I don't think Jim Harbaugh is married to the idea of having the quarterback be a you know, a critical part of the run game. I think they can find an offense that works, even if it's not the Ravens offense that Roman got Lamar Jackson to his first MVP with a few years ago. Now, Roman's had a year out of football. He's plenty of time to learn. Roman did improve between his stops with the Niners and the Bills and with the Ravens. I feel like that was the, you know, a, 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 a more modern version of the offense he'd been running several years earlier with uh, Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco. So could have improved in this year away. But the other option, the other option is Kellen Moore, the incumbent in San, in San Diego, sorry, San Diego, in Los Angeles, where the Chargers not only interviewed Kellen Moore for their head coaching job, which tells you how they feel about his work last season, even if it did not end well for the Chargers, but they also denied him an opportunity to interview with the Bears for their offensive coordinator job that eventually went to Shane Waldron, formerly of the Seahawks. So if they were not willing to let Kellen Moore leave and they were willing to offer him at least an interview for the head coaching job, it certainly seems like ownership believes Kellen Moore is a good offensive coordinator, which I will also say I believe too. I know that didn't really work out that great at the end with the Cowboys, the Chargers in the struggle. Um, Dak Prescott had a maybe his best year after Kellen Moore left. I don't think correlation is causation there. I think Dak is a great quarterback. I think that Mike McCarthy deserves credit for what he did. I also believe Kellen Moore is very good at this stuff and will be a head coach one day. And I don't think the Chargers letting him go would be in their best interest. So maybe now if Harbaugh has, you know, the guy he likes, maybe they like Kellen Morley. Maybe they let him move on to somewhere else. And there'll be opportunities for him elsewhere. But would they keep Kellen Moore? Would Harbaugh want to keep an OC who he does not presumably know on staff? That is a very interesting question. And so that leads us to what's going to happen over the next week and the next couple of months because the Chargers have to hire two new coordinators, have to hire a general manager, and have to resolve a cap situation where they are more than $43 million over the 2024 cap, and that's before signing any of their free agents. So a lot of work to do for Jim Harbaugh, but this is a guy who took over a franchise where the fans were chanting, we want David Carr, and had them a couple of muffed punts away from the Super Bowl in 12 months. If he can do that, I think he can turn around Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Okay, so wanted to hit on that Harbaugh news. Now let's get to the show and our conversation with Daniel Dobb. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, I am so excited to have a longtime producer of the Bill Barnwell Show, now one of the many contributors who do such wonderful work on Fantasy Focus each and every week, and someone who, more than anything to me, a friend, a confidant, a wildly talented person who I am in awe of as he continues to grow and launch his career, someone who is the most dedicated, hardcore Detroit Lions fan I know. And I wanted to have on to talk about the Lions, how they got here, and what he's thinking about this weekend's NFC Championship game against the San Francisco 49ers. It is Fantasy Focus's Daniel Dopp. Daniel, my friend, how are you? I'm good, Bill. How you doing, baby? <laughs> no one's ever called me baby on the Bill Barnwell show before. Well, this is a new trend I like. That's right. I like it. <laughs> I, I love it. This is great. I feel I feel welcome on my Listen, own show in a way I've never felt before. I am in a I'm in a very good mood right now as a fan of the Detroit Lions. Things have been yes. looking up for a little while, and I'm gonna keep sure. riding that happy train for as long as I possibly can. Yes, and you should. This is a a wildly fun team. Oh, yeah. It is easy to root for them. It is easy to not that you're rooting against, like I'm not rooting for the Bucks to lose. I don't have any like negative no. feelings towards the Bucks, but so fun to see them win. So fun to see the fans go crazy for them. So fun to see, you know, there's so many stories of players on this roster where it's easy to root for them because of they've either been, you know, sort of ignored or let go. Even Dan Campbell, someone who was the interim coach in Miami before uh, moving on and then starting his career elsewhere. But I guess I want to start from the beginning, Daniel. I want to start. I want to get your perspective on, on you know, sort of the the sour times before we move on to yeah. the good stuff. How, how did you end up? I'll start with this. How did you end up becoming a Lions fan? I grew up in Michigan, and so because of that, uh, I grew up in a small town called Midland, and so we. I was just a, a Detroit sports fan all the way through: Red Wings, Pistons, Lions, Tigers. So uh, being the age that I am, I got to see the bad boys as a kid. I was eight and nine years sure. old when they won their back-to-back -back, uh, championships. And then with the Lions being able to see Barry as of a course. very young kid and going into being a teenager, I got to really understand because you didn't get it at first, why everybody in your family <laughs> was so excited about it. But like once you grew up and you started to get it, it's like I got to see, uh, you know, prime Barry Sanders, which was amazing. And then follow that all the way through into the Matthew Stafford, Calvin Johnson, all those lean years in between there with everybody mm -hmm. until we finally arrived to the Dan Campbell era. And that is where I want to focus, because that is, I feel like the point where all Michigan like Detroit sports-based fans, everybody that has been waiting to see this team be able to finally turn it around. It feels like it's not just on the field that it needed to happen, obviously. Mm -hmm. It was off the field. It was in that front office. It was with the leadership. No and I think Sheila Ford Hamp like, has gotten it right in a way that nobody else before her was able to do. So I'm like huge Sheila Ford Hamp fan because with where it starts for me, even though I was a kid for a very long time, William Clay Ford, her father and everything that happened there, 
Um, very, very fun to be able to get me into Lions fandom. But like she has been able to instill people into this organization that have helped take it to a level that that neither of her parents could do. Yeah. And and those hires, I mean, Brad Holmes, respected or evaluated with the Rams. It's not like Dan Campbell was like a trying to think of a good example. It's not like he was even like a Ben Johnson to, to use a guy who probably right. will get a head coaching job this offseason where it was like, right. oh, my God, everyone's going to offer Ben Johnson like a blank check. Dan Campbell had been an interim coach in Miami. It had been okay, not great. Um, he'd been an assistant elsewhere. Yep. And, you know, it wasn't like he was a, a slam dunk hire. It was almost like he's getting a six-year contract, like that that guy. And then, yep. you know, he gives those early press conferences. It's, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it, it's, he, 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 it was, it was funny, which I think is good. Like, you know, you want to have entertaining press conferences. You don't want the, yeah. we're gonna, we want guys who are tough and smart. Like you want, you know, everyone says that. Like he was unique and it was fun, but it was almost like, we sure this guy is, you know, the right person to run a multi-billion dollar team. And it turns out by all accounts, it looked like James Campbell <laughs> is the exact correct person to run an NFL team. And I think what's so fascinating about Dan Campbell is he brings together like he's sort of like the one kid in school where like everyone can rally behind him. Like the the jocks are like, yeah, this guy is, you know, like like six, six and he's 280. He's probably, you know, going to the weight room. Um, oh, yeah. You know, in between conferences like. <laughs> You know, he, he's got that the tight end experience. And then the nerds are like, he goes forward and forth down. He, yep. you know, he trusts his players. Like, it feels like everyone can rally behind Dan Campbell. They really can. And I think that's been a huge part of what has made this team feel like the family that it's sort of become. And that didn't, dis that like, very clearly to me, did not just start this year. That started as soon as he took over and includes guys like Jamal Williams and everybody else that came in and like helped establish this culture in spite of the fact that not everybody that was a part of that and able to get the Lions to this point as a part of this team this year. So right. I think a big part of that is that leadership that you saw in Dame. Like you mentioned it with Brad Holmes. I think that guy has an incredible eye for talent. You, you see what he does in the draft. He's very good at evaluating players. Him and Dan Campbell, it seems like, couldn't be more on the same page, which is exactly what you want from a coach and a GM. With how often, guys, you're looking at putting people on the field, you want to make sure that you're seeing it the same way from the top down. And I feel like that's it's been a long time since we really truly had that in Detroit, like that vision. Um, and being able to get Dan in here... I, it is a joke to an extent because everyone's like, yeah, I'd run through a wall for that guy. But at this point, like everybody really means it. I, I, right. You see what he's done to take this team and this franchise from what it was and helped deconstruct this roster, keep around a few players that they need, but not a whole lot, to be honest, mm -hmm. and reconstruct it with guys that they wanted to go out, the football players that they were searching for that, like you said, they're not just it's not just Dan Campbell. These guys aren't just come out there and, you know, guys like Alex Anzalone, guys that were cast offs and not thought of as, as mm -hmm. the same way, you know, uh, and at the same time to me, and I realize this is, I apologize. I'll stop talking after this because I ramble sometimes when I talk about the Detroit Lions, oh, but this is one of those things where I like Dan Campbell as a leader is exactly what you're looking for, for a franchise. Guys want to play for him. Coaches want to coach for him. There is a respect there. It's not like he's asking anyone to do something that he wouldn't do himself. And it's so yeah. obvious how genuine he is when he talked yeah. about, and you look back at those old press conferences. It's like, I think about you guys all the time. If there is a way I could do this without putting you guys in pads, I would do it. But I, <laughs> I love you guys so much. My goal is to get you prepared for when you're playing in week 21. And three years, like that's that's the thing that when you see that, it's just like it, it almost gives you shivers because that's the kind of thing in, in Detroit, at least 
we haven't had that in my lifetime. And now to finally have it, it's like, it's, it's such a cool feeling. It seems like such a contrast to Matt Patricia where don't, like everyone's trashed to Matt Patricia and I, I have plenty as well. I don't want to make this like a Matt Patricia trashing show, but you know, there was not exactly a logic behind a lot of the things that were happening. There was not a, a through line between like, okay, we are here and in a year we're going to be here because we're going to make these improvements. We're going to do this, this, and this. You know, it felt like Matt Patricia, his only solution was just to try to throw more Patriots and more money at problems. And that did not work. And yep. it felt like so many players who had been elsewhere, you know, someone like Trey Flowers, for example, comes to mind for me, came to Detroit and got worse. And it's not because they're bad people or bad players, just because I don't think they were in a position where they you were able to get the most out of their talents. And you look at this roster and a lot of the players are homegrown draftees, but the guys who came from other places, Jamal Williams being uh, an example from the past, Jared Goff, of course, a guy who was basically cast off by the Rams, even someone like Josh Reynolds or David Montgomery this year has been better than he was with the Bears. Anzalone you brought up as well. Um, so many players who, you know, if they were mediocre elsewhere, they're solid in Detroit. If they were good elsewhere, they're great in Detroit. And that that seems like coaching to me. Like, this yeah. is, like the, I, I don't think they suddenly remembered, oh, I, I like catching the football. You know, it's not like they... They, they, their skills change, but I think it's it speaks to not just Dan Campbell, but also Aaron Glenn and Ben Johnson and their ability to, and, and Brian Holmes, the ability to identify, okay, who is the right player for our roster, but then also those coaches' ability to either, you know, tweak what those players do to make them better or put them in positions where they can succeed. Absolutely. And I love the way that they have started building this team. Obviously, the offensive line was a, a big deal to them. And being able to keep Taylor Decker and Frank Ragnow around from the previous regime, those two mm -hmm. guys I love on the offensive line. But Penny Sewell is just a beast. And a, a incredible representation of the grit that Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes oh, sure. want to talk about, right? Like, he is part of what sets the tone without those running backs. And to have guys like David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, you might have a top five running back in Jameer Gibbs in the NFL. You got a top five wide receiver in Amon Ross St. Brown easily a top five top three tight end in Sam Laporta to go with that offensive line and a guy like Jared Goff who after this resurgence I had to tell you like when Dan Campbell in that press conference said I only got one thing to say you're good enough for Detroit Jared Goff mm -hmm. I got choked up like I of felt course. it for him it was like oh dude I, I, to feel like you were cast off and that team specifically was the team that didn't want you and then you come here and you're able to show it and you have it, a city and, and a stadium embrace you that way. Like this is the fun part of sports that I want to live in every single day. This is the part, the emotional part that makes it fun. And that's part of why it makes it easy for not just Lions fans to be able to root for Lions right now, making their way through the playoffs, I think. Yes. And, and you know, everyone's been Jared Goff in one situation or another. Um, you know, that's not a sports thing. That is a, a human Life. thing. And I think yep. Dan Campbell is so good at, you know, at contextualizing that and i think he he's such a good communicator which again you look at dan campbell you don't think oh this guy is going to be great at communicating not just to players but also to fans and to media and i you know that's that's something again i go back to patricia who was like correcting media members for their posture and like <laughs> coming coming from the belichick tree where bill belichick is saying as little as possible to the media unless it's like a five minute explanation about how um, you know, personal protectors work for punts. Like, 
to have someone who's open about his emotions, open about, hey, this sucked. Hey, you know, this th we went through this and it was it was awful. We went through this and it was great. Um, you know, I think that's really refreshing. There, there's not a lot of coaches who do that. And I think what the word that comes to mind for me with Dan Campbell is authenticity, where, you know, like you, you don't feel like you're getting like, like with some coaches, they say things publicly and I know privately they don't feel that way. And right. I can see right. just from how they're talking, it's like, well, you don't really believe that. Or, oh, like, like you're, you're not giving us your real feelings on this. And with Dan Campbell, maybe he's just an incredible actor. Maybe he's just totally just, just so good at presenting one thing. And I'm sure he has to say some stuff that maybe he doesn't totally you know, agree with or totally believe in publicly because he wants to defend his players, doesn't want to trash his players in the media. But I, I think you get a, you feel like you're getting the real Dan Campbell whenever you see Dan Campbell talk, whether it be on a camera, whether it be in a press conference, whether it be, you know, seeing him talk with his players. Yeah, I, I watch enough Dan Campbell press conferences at this point that when I watch a reporter ask him a question, he doesn't usually shy away from it, one. Um, there's not a lot of coach speak with what he says, Dan Campbell always sort of has his own thing to say. And it's not usually a lot of coach speak is, you know, with the way that I look at it and he's thoughtful. Like he, he doesn't just say stuff to say stuff in, in the way that I look at it. He doesn't want to hear himself think. I don't think he has the whole smartest guy in the room mentality. So when he talks about stuff, like, I think it's genuine, like you're talking about, he's thought about it. And, and it's like from a place inside that is real, which not every coach does that in the NFL, it, it kind of feels different. And that's sort of the thing that is, you know, you started out that press conference and his tenure with the whole, we're going to bite kneecaps thing. And it was like, that started this joke, but that joke turned into this incredible, amazing, like, yeah, actually we, that's exactly who we want to be as a team. And like the entire city of Detroit and state of Michigan and every Lions fan everywhere, like has just adapted this Dan Campbell persona of grit which I think is incredible. Like the way that he has impacted and it's not just him. A lot of times it gets narrowed down to just Dan Campbell, but like Brad Holmes, Sheila Ford, everybody that's been involved with this, but the way that Dan, like as the face of that for the front office is able to do this and inspire players and be that leader. Um, I think it's incredible. And I think that if it any other year, he would be in a different, uh, probably in a better spot for coach of the year candidate. But I think this year is going to be tough for him in spite of the fact that me, as a biased Lions fan, thinks that he deserves it. I don't think it would be a terrible pick by any means. It's tough because, you know, they, they've exceeded expectations, but they really also expect, exceeded expectations last year, too. And they so did, yeah. yeah. You, have, you have this tough thing where it's like, well, if you were really good last year, like, you, you only improved by a little bit this year, but that's not true. They improved by, by a significant play this year. I actually want to ask you, in terms of, like like the the way up with this team mm -hmm. is there a moment a play a game is there a, a point for you where you were like oh this is different like okay this is not a you know just a lions team that kind of went on a decent winning streak but same old same old like like when did you really go from being like okay I'm a little excited about this team to, oh man, I am really excited and I really feel confident this team is going in the right direction. I felt very positive vibes year two, like once that week nine winning streak kind of started. Um, mm -hmm. 
but it didn't really hit me truly as like a because there's a lot of, there's a lot of trauma to work through as a Lions fan. To, yes. To trust again. Right. You can't just of go course. on a five game winning streak and be like, oh, we've made it to the promised land. I've seen that <laughs> happen before. It doesn't work that way. But going into Green Bay in week 18 yeah. in a game that didn't mean anything to us, but mm -hmm. we were able to keep Aaron Rodgers out of the playoffs in his house. That was the moment that I think not only did I already believe in this front office, but I feel like they've already constructed a team that can start to make some noise. And this is now the time where like this Lions team is not the same old Lions team. I think that Green Bay game is where the same old Lions stopped mm -hmm. because that was such a huge emotional win for this team away from home against a division rival, against a guy that had dominated them for so long. So in his final game, yeah, it felt really great to keep Aaron Rodgers out of the playoffs like that. And for me as a fan, that's when the switch really happened of like, this isn't maybe just like a nice couple run of games together, but like, this is more than just a Cinderella story. This might be part of the future of, of the Lions becoming a real team within the NFL. Yeah, I mean, that fourth and one at the end of the game, you like I don't know in my in my head I always do this with situations like this. So I'm like, okay, the Lions are gonna punt. Aaron Rodgers is down four. He's gonna get the ball back with a minute left, and he's gonna drive for a game-winning touchdown because that's what always happens. Or even yep. worse, they're gonna go forward and fourth and one. They're gonna fail, and then I'm gonna have to write about no Dan Campbell's not an idiot for going forward and for going for it exactly. Yeah, that's and the worst and case. they they got it. They they completed the pass to DJ Chark. Um, they win. Aaron Rodgers is eliminated from the playoffs. You got the Jamal Williams interview after the game. Oh. Like it, it, it was, it, 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 it was such a confluence of like, no, like, like, like everything you thought was going to happen, or at least I thought was going to happen at the end of that game, did not happen. It went in the opposite direction. The Lions believed in themselves. They believed in their ability. They played to their strengths, which last year was definitely the offense and not the defense, even though the defense played well in that game against Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, Dan Campbell trusted his team. He trusted his players and was rewarded with a victory. And that, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I was someone who was, you know, I was relatively pessimistic about the Lions. I thought they'd be a playoff team, but I didn't think they would be like the, you know, the one of the two or three best teams in the NFC, the way they turned out to be this year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was like, you have to, you have to take notice of that. You have to see what's happening. You have to believe that they believe. And if they believe, then maybe we should believe as well. I think that's one of the things that I love so much about Dan Campbell and the his belief in his players, because yes, he goes for it on fourth down. Some people can look at it as being aggressive or, mm -hmm. or however you want to look at it. But to me, I look at it as, man, I trust my guys. We've run this play a hundred times in practice, and I know my offense is better than your defense. So yeah, of course I'm going to trust Jared Goff to go out there and pick up two yards, or Derry Montgomery to go out there and pick up two yards. Like mm -hmm. I, I see that as such a vote of confidence in your players, where when I watch other other coaches in same situations punt on fourth and one, it's like maybe I'm conflating it in my head but the message that that sends to at least in detroit to dan campbell's players is i trust you man i know mm -hmm. that you can do this go out there and if it doesn't happen hey it doesn't happen we're gonna go get him next time but i know you can make this happen i love that trust that he showcases in his team yeah and and it also aligns with you know what they're good at like even now the defense is still relatively the weaker point of this yeah. this team and so you know 
playing to your offense's strengths, trusting your offense is, is great. It's not like some, you know, I, 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 I don't want to dismiss Dan Campbell's interest in analytics or interest in, um, you know, what, what data tells him. I don't think at the same time, I don't think he's in Excel, like, you know, grinding win probability calculators. Like I think he has, I think it comes from an emotional place and that is, that's, you know, that's nothing wrong with that. Like if it leads you to the right decision, that's great. And, yep. um, you know, I, I feel like he's such a, I, I, I guess I wonder, like, I, I wonder if teams are going to see Dan Campbell's success. And I feel like, I don't, I don't know if it's going to, but I feel like it should make them rethink what they're looking for in a coach and you know like there's no blueprint we are terrible as a as a league as a group of people in terms of hiring coaches i mean mm. great coaches have been fired and run out of town andy reed bill belichick run out of town in their first stops um you know we've seen guys like matt patricia and adam gase get multiple head coaching jobs and they were not qualified for those roles uh it, it's such a difficult process and yet we seem to kind of latch on to the same people it's always okay who's the hot young assistant who's the ben johnson again not to pick on ben johnson who could be a great head coach yep. in the long run but you know it's okay who's the next ben johnson who's the next um uh, you know even Demico ryan's i think there'll be people wanting to hire someone like Demico ryan's this offseason and dan campbell again like had a unique resume but is not someone where you look at him and think okay he is like this this offensive genius who's going to out scheme you he's not this guy who's going to like you know has all this experience molding a quarterback into a superstar like he's a program builder he's a leader and the lions and she'll afford went with that and they're thriving because of it yes absolutely being able to have a leader at that position not just for the coaches around him, for the players that play for him, that entire front office that feel like Dan Campbell, with the way that the Detroit Lions go is 100% through Dan Campbell. And that I think he is such a great, he does such a great job of being able to be the face of the front office for that Detroit Lions franchise, as well as being able to get guys ready to play on Sunday. Again, as a Lions fan that went through a lot of coaches, I mean, you, you any team, not just a Lions fan, any team that has been through the stuff that a lot of Lions fans have been through. You got coaching turnover. It feels like every every two or three years, you got players and, and quarterbacks trying to learn a new playbook, trying to learn new systems, adapting to like so many new things that come in that to finally feel like you have stability that comes in. I want this for every fan in the NFL. Like I, <laughs> I know how I feel as a Lions fan. So I was like, yeah, man, this is, it sucks when the team that you emotionally invest and root for doesn't feel good. So uh, being able to get that leader and somebody like Dan Campbell, it just feels like, you know, I don't want to say he's second to none. There's a lot of really good coaches in the sure. NFL, but he has, I think, surprised everybody, even those of us in Detroit that wanted to see him succeed. I don't think that we thought it was going to be quite like this or that he was going to be the leader that we see now three years from from when it started. It's hard to imagine a better version of Dan Campbell out there. Nope. Like there are yep. other coaches who are good at different stuff. You know, again, like if it was, do I want someone to draw up a a crazy play? I would pick Andy Reid and no disrespect to Dan Campbell on that. But I think Dan Campbell is the best type of Dan Campbell style coach. And I think it's not even to say, okay, hire guys who are like Dan Campbell, but 
you know, hire someone who feels true to themselves, who feels like they have the abilities to get people on board with them. People who, you know, who are empathetic and also authoritative and who just are very distinctly themselves. And that is a hard thing to find in the NFL. I love what you just said, because he is very empathetic and emotional and willing to meet players there, but also very authoritative and not afraid to put his foot down. And like, what I say is what's going to be like, I need you guys to do this, to find someone like that in this league that can do both walk, both of those lines, I think is yes. really incredible. And it makes me think of, this is not my idea. I wish it was my buddy, Damien Dabrowski and I were talking about this the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, that, ridiculous David Montgomery uh, chart from college about how he has the legs of this guy and the arms of this guy and vision of this <laughs> yes. guy. That's kind of like Dan Campbell kind of feels like that where it's like, he's got the mm-hmm. analytical mind of this guy, but then he's got the leadership skills of this coach. And then he's got, he's sort of like an amalgamation of like a bunch of weird different coaches in a way that you wouldn't expect it all to work, but it all came together in this perfect form that just is Dan Campbell. I think that's also the first time someone's used amalgamation on the Bill Barnwell show. Well, Bill, I'm here to set some records. That's what it's all about. I appreciate that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. I want to ask this question, and I, I, I know you well enough to know your personality and, and how I think you would handle this, but I'm intrigued to ask you. Does it feel weird to have a bandwagon? And are, are you someone where you feel almost like Ugh, like I was I, I I stuck through this for so long when they were so mediocre like you know if you're a bandwagon fan who wants to jump on the Lions bandwagon you need to have been down in the mire with me for so long uh, and you can't get on now absolutely not Bill those people are That's terrible people like what's the point of that why gatekeep fandom you know what I mean like it's it's not I'm the one that decided I wanted to sit through all of those years fandom for it. Like I did that to me and I don't regret any of it because it made these moments so much sweeter being able to watch those last two games with my parents who I have never been able to watch a lions playoff victory with like, since I was a little kid, I nine years old, I, I can't think of a better like life moment than that. So mm-hmm. if anything, I, I, it's one of those things where whatever gets you into football, man, I want to encourage that. I, you don't have to have been a lions fan for 30 years. If this story and Dan Campbell or or the Jared Goff story or anybody like hits you and you want to jump on the bandwagon now, there's plenty of room in the den as far as I'm concerned. Thanks. That's what I thought. But I just wanted to get that out there just in case. Yeah. Um, in terms of the roster, and we're gonna get to the Niners game upcoming in a second. Who do you think, as someone who watches this team closely every week, who covers the league, of course, closely in, in your yep. your role as uh I I I Many people are saying you're the star of fantasy focus. I don't want to disrespect well, Field Yates and Mike Clay and sure, um, sure. You know all all the people who do wonderful work. Stefania, the producers. I don't want to disrespect. Anyone. I'm just, I'm just saying. I hear this a lot when I walk down the street in Boston. I'm like, <laughs> they're like that guy knows Daniel Dopp, and and I I can't blame them. I mean. <laughs> Sure. You know, sure. Um, most of the listeners of this podcast are like, who is Daniel Dobbs? I don't stop. Know what you're about. <laughs> stop. 
<laughs> not only have you been a guest on the show before, but of course, the a longtime producer. Longtime producer of the show. That's right. Um, who does not get appreciated enough from the Detroit Lions? Who does not get the attention that you feel they deserve given how they play week in, week out on this roster? Mm, I mean, it's tough to argue with either. So on both sides of the ball, um, I don't want to. I don't want to say he doesn't get enough appreciation, but I just think offensive linemen don't get enough appreciation in general. I agree. So like Frank Ragnow, like yes. it, it plays through so many injuries. <laughs> last week, last oh week my gosh, so many like both of his legs fell off. It was like a like Mr. <laughs> Potato Head kind of thing, and they put two different legs on him, and then he went out and still blocked Vita Vea so that the Lions could continue to move the ball down the field. Like unbelievable. That guy is just a beast. And yes. like one of the true warriors in the game, I freaking love him. So I think as an offensive lineman and just in general, Frank Ragnow, absolutely underappreciated on the other side of the ball. I still think it's going to be defensive line for me. I think Ali okay. McNeil is awesome mm-hmm. and really sets a tone for what they do in the middle of that defense, especially as a run stopper. Detroit is so good against, against running backs this year and to be able to help stuff the run there in the middle with what he does. I think the team is uh, that rush doesn't get as good of a push when he's not in there. And so he's someone that I think is continuing to be able to grow and get better. Um, but like him, it's tough because Alex Anzalone, you could, Alex Anzalone, excuse me, you could potentially say that, but he's out there all the time playing like a bunch, all yes. like every snap. So I, I feel like he is properly appreciated for what he has done for these lines. And he's also very conspicuous because of his hair. Yeah, right. Like, it's it's not, it's not like he flies. It's like, oh, who's that guy with like incredible flowing blonde hair who's stuck onto yes. the field for the Lions? Like, like is Thor out there? Yes. Is, 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 that, is that Thor? Is that Thor with a Lions helmet? Oh my God. He just, he just hit that guy with a hammer. That's not legal. That's not fair. <laughs> Dan Campbell is hiding the hammer behind his back. Dan Campbell, the only other person to wield Thor's hammer, by the way. No one else would be allowed to hold it. That's that checks out. That checks that. out. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the run and the run defense with Lee McNeil, who I agree with you as an underrated player who is, you definitely notice when he's not around for the Lions. He is going to be around, I believe, this upcoming week. And he is yep. going to be playing against the San Francisco 49ers, who are quite good at running the football. So, Daniel, as we think about what's this NFC championship game with the Lions and the 49ers. How do you think Detroit matches up? I think it's going to be. I think it's a very going to be a very good game. Um, I am really interested to watch the way that CMC is utilized against this defensive front. The last two yes. running backs to go against him. I mean, Kyron Williams is incredible. Um, he was. I think he mm-hmm. had the. Was he was running back one in touches this year? Touches per game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm not sure anyone touched the ball more on a per game basis than Kyron Williams did. Lions held him to 14 touches, only 61 rushing yards, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Rashad White, only 13 touches. I think he was running back five this year and, and being able to impact his team by touching the ball a whole bunch. Only 13 mm-hmm. touches in that game, only 55 rushing yards. Um, I think that if they utilize CMC in the passing game, that'll help a lot, obviously. I thought Rashad White had a little bit more success than Kyron did, in part because the the Bucks used him in the passing game more than the Rams did with Kyron Williams. And I think that'll be a big part of the success for CMC is in they're going to run the football, you know, and this is going to be, they're going to have some runs and they're going to have some, uh, some drives that they're going to keep trying to utilize their running backs, but being able to use CMC out of the backfield as a pass catcher, I think will be mm-hmm. a very big part of this. 
Like if I knew that Debo was going to be there and be fully healthy, then maybe I would I would think a little bit differently. But that's a part of the the question mark going into this is like, is Debo going to be a part as heavy of a factor in the passing game with the way that like even though they're passes, a lot of times they're sort of like manufacturing runs for him near mm -hmm. the line of scrimmage. Right. So mm -hmm. that makes sense. And as we record this Wednesday afternoon, unclear whether Debo Samuel is going to play. I believe he's not going to. If you ask me right now, I'm skeptical that he's going to play or at least play a meaningful role even if he's active but obviously they're much better with Debo Samuel in the lineup what about the Lions offense do you think there's a player who you feel like can really attack the Niners defense uh either Sam Laporta or I mean I, the hard part is it kind of feels like Amon Ross St. Brown is like matchup proof with the way that they utilize yeah. him within this offense. So, you know, even if, if they're trying to find ways to set, you know, to, to shut him down, mm -hmm. going from him to Sam Laporta, I really love, you know, for the lions, Josh Reynolds, especially with Khalif Raymond out uh, has mm -hmm. looked great. The last couple of games as another yes. safety valve. One of the things this Lions team has to do. And one of the only elements that I think is still missing from this offense is to be able to utilize that former first round pick and Jamison Williams to have that deep speed to help take the top off the defense. They've done it a couple times. They've had a few shots, like a few plays here and there over the season, but it's not something that they consistently do in games. I don't think they feel like they've been able to do that yet, in spite of the fact that they run the ball so well and use play action so well. So if they can eventually get to that point, I don't think that's going to happen necessarily this week, but I hope that maybe we see a deep shot or two against these 49ers in order to help keep them honest against the run, because that's a big part of, of what Detroit does well, obviously, is Monty and Jameer Gibbs being able to continue to use clock and move down the field. Yeah, this is an interesting matchup for me because the Lions love throwing to Jameer Gibbs, love throwing to Sam Laporta. You know, that's taking advantage of linebackers really in coverage. And then the problem is the guys at linebacker for the They're Niners are freaks. <laughs> yeah. Drake Greenlaw and Fred Warner are incredible at, at taking those things away. But then you flip it. And one, one of the things, and I'm going to steal Mike Clay's beat here when it comes to Shadow Report, Javarius Ward, I, in my, from what I have seen, is not someone who travels with the opposing team's top receiver. He usually stays on one side of the field. And so from Amon Ra St. Brown's perspective, he might not see a lot of San Francisco's best cornerback in this game. And if that's the case, maybe Amon Ra is the guy who picks up the slack here. Maybe Josh Reynolds is the guy who picks up the slack here. Um, maybe they do get a couple of deep shots at Jamison Williams, which we saw the Packers, you know, have some success throwing deep on the Niners last week, whether it be with catches or with PIs. So I, I think a really fascinating opportunity for, for the Lions in this game. What happened with Aaron Jones last week? It was like all of a sudden, and it's, that's not the first time that I've seen this Niners run defense. Like mm -hmm. the last handful of games, they've had a couple. Um, I think I wrote it down here. Hold on. Aaron Jones uh, and Emmanuel Wilson had 143 yards from scrimmage in that Oof. game, which which was a lot. For what this like, this is the number three rush defense. Uh, mm -hmm. Gus Edwards and Justice Hill in week 16. They, I'm not even going to include Lamar's numbers because Lamar, Jared Goff, and Lamar are not the same, so that just sort of doesn't seem fair. <laughs> but like true. those two running backs still had over 125 yards from scrimmage. The Cardinals, remember the Cardinals game in week 15, they gave up 196 yards to running backs. So mm -hmm. in like three of the last four important games, week 18 
everybody sat for the Rams. So like I'm yep. throwing that one out three of the last four important games. They've given up some big games to the running back position on the other side of the field, in spite of the fact that like over the season, they were really, really good. So I, I want to look at it a little bit deeper and see, you know, what's going on there. Is there something happening that like towards the second half that is causing that, or is this a situation that lions could exploit? Because to me, Watching Aaron Jones do that last week is like, okay, cool. Let's get Jimmy Gibbs and David Montgomery into a similar situation so we can try to utilize those guys farther downfield like Amon Ra and Sam Laporta. Makes sense. Absolutely. And I think the other good thing is the, the Niners pass rush was not good last week. They did not get a lot of pressure on Jordan Love. And again, Jared Goff and Jordan Love are different kinds of quarterbacks, but you'd also figure the Lions have a better offensive line than the Packers do. So if Jared Goff, who... I believe is number one in the NFL when he's unpressured in QBR and 27th in the NFL when he is pressured. If Jared Goff does not have a ton of pressure on him, this could be an opportunity for him to pick apart the Niners, you know, out of clean pockets. So I think it could go a lot of different ways um, based on the Niners' strengths and, you know, what the Lions are good at and how effective the, the Niners are on defense in terms of exploiting the weaknesses the Lions have on offense and vice versa. Yep. I'm not I'm not gonna make you make a prediction. I, I don't think that is fair. I don't want you to be on the hook for a, you know, if they lose and you say they're gonna win or vice versa. I don't think that's fair to you. But I have one final question for you, and it's more okay. of a big picture question okay. about the lines. And we've already hit on it a little bit, but I just want to ask it from this perspective. So there's a lot of fans right now from a lot of teams who Hasn't been going their way for a few years. Some some of them has been going their way for a couple decades. And what I want to ask you, Daniel, is what can other teams, other organizations, other franchises who have been in the doldrums for a while, what can they take away from the Lions rebuild and hope that they see from their organizations as they hire new coaches, hire new, you know, sign new players. What do you think are like the, the key components of what led this turnaround in Detroit that other teams can emulate? I think part of what Detroit needed, and it sort of depends on what other teams need in this situation when you're talking about the rebuild, but like a big part of what the Detroit Lions needed, you know, sort of become like a, like a buzzword. So I hate to use it, but like, I thought that the Lions established a new culture of what, like Detroit Lions football was going to be. And that I don't mean that just from like on the field. I think that the, the organization tried really hard to establish a completely different mentality in this fan base. Once Dan Campbell took over to establish like, this isn't the same old lions. And I know every year teams always try and do that, but this felt like a very concerted effort for them to be different than years past. Part of that was a, a huge investment in, um, the fans and being able to include like uh, uh, my best friend is a season ticket holder. So I know that there was a bunch of stuff that they had tried to do for um, a like people in the community with new things within the Detroit lions and, and investing in that fan group, because that is the, like, that's the lifeblood of what your football team is. I know the players on the field are the guys that get paid that are the ones that like get your wins and losses, but like it's the people in the community that invest so heavily into these teams emotionally and financially. And like we create these bonds and these stories. And I think the lions really realized that with Dan Campbell being the kind of leader that he was, 
that he had this crossover that could not just do what he needed to do on the field, but he was able to impact the community and this entire city that like wanted to be able to have someone that was just like him embrace that grit, that culture, that blue collar mentality, because that's what Detroit's, you know, needed for them. So I think being able to find that and realize that your coach is not just a coach of the football team, but he's also the face of your organization within your community. And Dan Campbell to me has proven that goes much farther than it does just between the 20 yard lines on the football field. Like he has made this Detroit lions fan base come alive again in a way that no other coach has been able to do. So at least in my estimation, you, those kind of people don't grow on trees. Of course, it, it's like saying every team needs to go out and get themselves a Patrick Mahomes, right? I'm not saying Dan Campbell's Patrick Mahomes, but like everybody wants to have a leader that inspires people. I just, there was a big part for me that getting that community involved because this team had been beaten down for so long. You've got to make those fans have a reason to believe again. And I think that the team did a really good job with all those things. I'm, I'm, I try to be unbiased. I, I don't want to root for a team. I don't want to, like, Niners fans are going to be mad if I'm, like, saying I'm rooting for the Lions. Sure. It would be really cool to see the Lions and the Ravens, even though I picked the Chiefs to win the AFC, a, a Lions-Ravens Super Bowl between two fan bases that are – the Ravens have had a lot more success than the Lions have, to be fair. Maybe it's unfair to compare those two. But just, like, two teams who have not been in this place in a while where – I think there was very strong stories formed about those teams. Like Lamar can't do it. The Lions are always going to suck. I think it's cool to see them overcoming that and cool to see them uh, proving that that's not the case and it's not going to be the case for years to come. I think that would be a really fun Super Bowl. Agreed. I'm totally with you, man. <laughs> I'm happy that you're with yeah. me. <laughs> but actually, no, I'll, I'll finish there. I have one more question, and this could be <laughs> bulletin board material. Ooh, I love it. The team, the Lions fight. Who would you rather play in the Super Bowl as a Lions fan? Would you rather play the Ravens and the likely league MVP in Lamar Jackson? Or would you rather play the Chiefs and uh, Patrick freaking Mahomes? I think I would rather play. Uh, I'd rather play the Ravens. Really? Why? Because you want to beat the best. You know what I mean? So you're, so... you're disrespecting the Chiefs here. Well, I, I, I don't know. Is is it disrespectful to say that someone isn't the best team when the other team is the best team? It's just like I'm just factually <laughs> stating you want to beat the best. And, like, we beat the Chiefs once in their wow. stadium. Like, I, I don't wow. feel like there's a lot. We, we got some unfinished business because the Ravens did embarrass the Detroit Lions. So I think that, you know, we got some stuff that we could take care of there. So Wow, we already, we already did that to you, says Daniel Zapp. Yeah. You're old news, Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> All love, love all love, all love. I love it. So good. Well, Daniel, uh, please tell people where they can listen and just check out more of the Daniel Dopp experience. Yeah, you can follow me on X at Daniel Dopp. Uh, I do fantasy focus once a week right now with the amazing people that Bill already mentioned, Field Yates, Mike Clay, and Stefania Bell. Uh, every once in a while, Liz Loza stops by to join us. Uh, do that once a week on Mondays. You can find us on YouTube as well as wherever you get your podcasts. I also contribute to the Adam Schefter podcast on a weekly basis. So check that out. We do a weekly six-pack with Adam talking about some of the things around the league, which is a lot of fun. Um, and then for the last little bit of the season, until we get to the offseason, I'm writing a props that pop column, Ooh. diving into the sports betting world uh, just a little bit. So if you're looking to put a few dollars down and a couple of bets around the games to have some extra fun. Uh, go ahead and check that out. Liz Loza and I write it. It's a lot of fun. You can find that at ESPN.com. Make money, support the Lions with our good friend Daniel Dopp. Thanks so much, buddy. Thanks, brother.
All right. I love having Daniel Dopp on the show. He's been on before, but not in a couple of years. I'm excited to have him on now that he's a star with Fantasy Focus. No, Daniel's the best. Fantasy Focus is the best. Check out all of those folks and hopefully check out the Bill Barnwell Show, which is back with two episodes next week. More writing, more uh, TV stuff, more audio. All that's coming up in the next few weeks uh, as we finish up the NFL season. Hope you guys enjoy the games this weekend and more audio next week.